0: Good morning, listeners, and welcome to this week's Ag report. I'm Jim Finn. Later on, my guests are Martin Stapleton, who is one of the candidates to be the next president of the IFA. I will also be talking with Edmund Harty from Engineers Ireland, and he is the president of them at the moment. And my final guest this morning will be Alice Doyle. And Alice is seeking to become the first woman to be Deputy President of the IFA. My first guest this morning is Claire Mooney from Chagas. And as you know, I've Clare on a couple of times every year. And there is a new EIP out with regard to water and as you know every time i'm talking to claire we're talking about water quality so i'm hoping that today uh, on the program that claire will be able to uh, tell us all about this new uh, eip uh, that's out there and in what way uh, are farmers affected by it good morning claire and thanks very much for joining me morning jim okay I said there's a new EIP with regard to water. Will you tell me a little bit about it, please?
1: I will indeed. Um, I suppose Chagaskin collaboration with the local authorities' waters programme and Dairy Industry Ireland have been successful in its application to deliver a new water EIP um, for the country. The 60 million project hopes to, I suppose, bring about improvements in water quality And then measures will be designed and implemented in collaboration with farmers. And these measures will be targeted specifically, you know, to address local challenges, because like we've said before, you know, nutrients can enter our waters as a result of human activities, such as wastewater treatment um, systems, be it domestic or urban. And then you also have agriculture and forestry having an impact there as well.
0: Okay, And of course, as we are talking uh, this week, we've heard an awful lot about the amount of things that get into our waterways from not necessarily from agriculture, but from human waste getting into our rivers and our towns and our villages.
1: That's it. Exactly, Jim. Like, you know, every every input that goes into the stream, it's having an additional impact, be it. Mm-hmm. Agriculture and non-agriculture, so at least this um, project will help with the, the agriculture side of the house anyway.
0: What exactly then will, will, will happen? What's, what's, what's part of that programme?
1: The main aim of the water EIP is to um, deliver targeted actions to reduce those losses of nutrients, sediment and pesticides mm. from agricultural land. The programme itself will run from the end of this year until 2028. And I suppose it focuses on the areas that need most attention in relation to protecting.
0: And what are those areas then?
1: OK, so I suppose there's kind of a tiered approach um as we said earlier on, like it's 60 million. So it's it's not going to go far if we open it to everybody across the mm-hmm. country. So access will be prioritised and farmers will be approached to make applications for the scheme. And I suppose it's the app advisors across the county, be the co-op advisors or the Chagask advisors, will be calling to, to farmers. And I suppose we have divided the farmers into different tiers. Mm-hmm. So um, the first tier is the farms that were in cycle two, of the Water Framework Directive, and the farms that will be in cycle three and have had an ASIC assessment. The second tier then are farms that are within cycle three, PAAs, or within a catchment that have a community-led water initiative um, where they have identified um, nutrient sediment or pesticides as being the major issue. And I suppose if we don't get to spend the money in those three um two areas, it's other farms outside of the above we will be calling to. But I suppose it is um it's worth noting, you know, that measures available under the EIP are for measures not covered by regulatory requirements. So, you know, if you're in derogation, you should have your water courses fenced off already, so mm-hmm. the EIP won't pay you to do that. Or likewise, if you picked fence and water courses in acres, again, you can't get paid for it in the EIP because there'd be a double funding issue there.
0: So the money will be spent then, or given to farmers rather, uh, to do the work that you and I have been talking about for the past couple of years. In other words, to, uh, I suppose, improve where roadways are leaning towards a stream or whatever the case may be to rectify that particular situation, to fence off uh, water, uh, waterways, as you said. Uh, so there will be help there, but if they're already in, it won't get double paid, in other words.
1: Exactly, exactly. So I suppose the main measures that we will be looking at, um, I suppose there'll be measures that will focus on farm yard issues and land land management issues. So you'll have things like maybe hedgerow establishments, additional fencing for bovine exclusion from, from water courses, the alternative water supply, so be that a pasture pump or you know the solar power drinkers. Um I suppose putting in extra riparian margins, tree planting, um, putting in earth and buns, you know, where there's a low-lying area in the field and just to slow that water getting down into the, the stream. And I suppose we'll also be encouraging the use of um, multi-species swords, and there will be some pesticide mitigation measures there as well.
0: I would say that anybody in acres will not qualify for this.
1: Um, No. No. (laughs) Okay,
0: I've got it wrong. So okay.
1: That was the general impression that we had as well. Mm -hmm. you know before we piloted the program Jim and you know I suppose we had it in our heads as well that the more intensive farmers wouldn't really go for it Mm -hmm. but the reality is I think most people want to do their bit to to try and improve water quality and if it means putting in an extra hedge or an earthen bund or something like that people will do it regardless of you know it might not be a huge payment but you know it's still something good and they are willing to put in the effort to do it.
0: Is it the same then for any farmer that's in derogation?
1: Um, yes. Yeah. So, again, mm. we couldn't fund the likes of, um, you know, recambering roads or um, fencing off the drains. But everything else is up for grabs there for the derogation farmer.
0: Right. One of the things in acres is putting trees into a corner. So if a derogation farmer wanted to put trees into the corner of uh, the four corners of a field, he could under this scheme.
1: Exactly, or even along the the existing buffers that they have fenced off along mm-hmm. streams, that would be an ideal location for them as well.
0: Talking about buffers along streams, uh, is, is there much planting of buffers along uh, streams at the moment?
1: Um, I suppose there's very little planting of them, Jim. It's it's trying to get people to implement the basic buffers is the biggest challenge at the minute. So I think if we if we start there, maybe and then we can move on to the planting. Um, but definitely, we need to start with with the basics, keeping back the the three meters
0: right. with the fertilizer oh, okay. and the
1: five and ten, then with the slurry.
0: Sorry, yeah, okay, because um, you know uh, we do know that uh, the trees will uh, absorb an awful lot of the nutrients that will be gets through the three meter barrier, exactly. ra- rather than having that little bit of it that might still get to the stream. Anyway, uh, if I was to ask you then, uh, Claire, uh, one final question, really, and and that is, what would be your advice now to any farmer uh, at the moment with regard to this EIP or do they have to wait for you to contact them?
1: Um, I suppose at the moment we're in the piloting phase, Jim. So mm-hmm. hopefully by kind of end of November, early December, we will be calling to farms that we have already assessed under ASIP, and we will be offering this funding to them. Right, yo. Um So it's it's really wait wait for the phone call, <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose don't don't be afraid to to engage with us either. Oh, you know.
0: R- right. Okay. So really, what you're saying is there are farmers out there that you will be contacting in the next couple of months, between yeah. now and Christmas, you'll be there to help them to access some of this money and make the water quality here in Tipperary a little bit better than it is.
1: That's it, exactly. And the fund is actually being administered by Tipperary County Council, so um, they're, they're administering it for the whole country.
0: For the whole country? So, oh, oh, my God. For the whole country, oh, okay. yeah. That'll keep yeah. the law provis quite quiet for the next couple of years. Anyway, uh, Fran and and gang, okay, look, thanks very much uh, for joining me this morning and telling me about something that I didn't even know existed. And uh, let's hope that it is successful and we can improve the water quality in County Tipperary.
1: Perfect. Thanks a million, Jim.
0: That listeners, was Claire Mooney, who is with Chagas and is an ASOP advisor with Chagas in the NENA office. And if you have any questions with regard to the EIP or with regard to the ASOP program, why not make contact with Claire and her team? Listeners, my next guest this morning is Martin Stapleton. And Martin is one of the two candidates. Who has put their name forward to be the next president of the IFA? Good morning, Martin. Good morning, Jim. You're out on the campaign trail, and needless to mention, the people of Tipperary would like to know who is Martin Stapleton?
2: Well, Martin Stapleton is a farmer from Oolan, County Limerick, um, just farming exactly on the Limerick Tipperary border. Uh, I'm a dairy farmer, married to Siobhan, who happens to be from Care in County Tipperary. We have three teenage children, Jessica, James and Vicky, all in secondary school. Um, and we farm and pride ourselves in running a family farm where we're all involved. I can, I'm proud to say that my three children milk the cows regularly on a who's available basis. There's no distinction made between boy or girl or age. It's all equal. We're all in it. We all work together. I, I suppose other things that come into mind, is that Martin, Martin, Sta- Martin Stapleton has always had a philosophy that it's really important to be involved in representing your community in some way, shape or form. My community, as I see it, has been the Farmers of Ireland in different ways. I've been involved in the, the, the Representation Committee in, in Dairy Gold. And as a much younger man than what I am now, I was very involved in Market and Farmer. Gave two years as Chairman of, of South Ibrary Mochran. Was involved there for five, six years. Uh, and have to say, I've always taken huge pride out of the fact that it's necessary for us to, as as farmers, to be involved in our, our communities, involved in helping farm representation. And I've never, ever once agreed with the notion that we should focus only on what goes on inside our farm gate.
0: Your history then in the IFA, you said you were in Macra. So you, then what has been your history with the IFA?
2: Like a lot of people, every now and again, I used to go to my county executive meeting in Limerick. In 2014, the Limerick executive invited me to the Farm Business Committee. mm mm-hmm. Um, and I was, uh, those meetings, four or five times a year, I was going to those meetings. Uh, the crisis of the payments hit the IFA in 2000, at the back end of 2015. And in 2016, in very early 2016, the same time that your listeners will remember when Joe Healy was appointed mm-hmm. president, the members of my committee pretty much tapped my, me on the shoulder and said, hey, Martin, will you take on the chairmanship of this committee for the next four years? And I did. I threw myself into it. I took it as an honour because for somebody who was relatively, incredibly inexperienced in the IFA, they trusted me to do it, to deliver for them. Our responsibility in the Farm Business Committee is all about making sure that the pre-budget submission from the IFA is well-written and targeted and prioritising the most important things. We did that. We did that really well. And I, you know, I can proudly claim that on behalf of Irish farmers every year as chairman of the Farm Business Committee, we delivered. We delivered for sheep supports, suckler supports, Every year, D.N.C. support. I think one I'm really proud of is that every farmer in this country today gets a, a tax credit of 1,650 euros, the very same as the P.A.Y.E. tax credit, which up until if I'm if I'm right in my year 2017, farmers didn't get, and it it came in it has come in stages since then. The other side of the farm business committee, which was really challenging, was the banking the banking side of it. It, it was a time of huge change in banking. Uh, because for the first time banks sold farmers' loans to vulture funds. So we had to roll up our sleeves there and get involved. Farmers found themselves and a couple of thousand farmers across this country found themselves with their loans sold into an environment that was completely alien to farmers and many professional people as well who were have eyes in them. So we worked hard. We we created a we created a, a committee called the debt support service, which was available voluntary people available to council people. And many of them were scared, Jim, b- because yeah. of the fact that the Fund had a reputation for just selling people out and getting as much money as they could out of it. So I, I, I'm very proud to be able to say that okay. as a result of that, very few farmers found themselves in a position where they actually had to sell their farms. Most farmers were able to reach consensual agreements. For, since then, I've been treasurer of the IFA. Since 2020, I've been treasurer mm-hmm. uh, and returning officer of the IFA.
0: Okay. What was your biggest achievement?
2: Oh, uh, Jim, I I have no doubt I refer back to the the work I was able to do for individual people Mm -hmm. uh, whose loans, who found themselves in with distressed debt, loans were sold. I have no doubt that that there are hundreds of farmers around this country who are so grateful to the IFA because of the work we were able to do that time. Um, And as I say, it's all about getting a consensual agreement where the fund and the farmer were able to agree jointly that this is the best way forward. uh, Without hesitation, I can claim that because of my involvement and the work I did, um, there are many, many farmers across this country who have been able to continue farming, uh, get back to some sort of normality. And in, in many cases, I think the biggest driver for people was to protect their land for the next generation. So that's, for me, will always be my big achievement in my in, in the last eight years that I have, have um, been able to give and, and been fortunate enough to represent farmers through the, oh. the actual Irish Farmers Association and the presence of it.
0: On what platform, then, is your campaign being built on?
2: Oh, I've built my campaign on four pillars. Four pillars that drive everything I do in my quest for the presidency and four pillars that will drive every decision I make should I get to be the president. And they're, they're pillars of respect, unity, the freedom to farm and making sure we, we maximise prices for farmers. Uh, and just to, to elaborate on those, as I've gone around, Jim Canvason, and talking to farmers in Ireland, and I think this is probably the first time it's true to say this, the prices is not at the top of their list of concerns at this moment in time. And I say that even in the context of this being a really difficult year for prices, with high input prices, low output prices, compounded by a difficult year weather-wise. Most farmers worry at the minute. is the lack of respect that they perceive they get from the rest of society. And that's driven by the immediate large and the constant blame game that farmers feel that's coming their way because of the environment stuff. The job of the IFA is to restore that sense of respect, and to restore because of the lack of respect they feel. There's a certain follow through into the lack of respect for the IFA, and to restore the respect of the IFA as well with unity. Very simply, once again, there's there, the focus now among too many farmers is division between the sectors, division between the regions, division between the different scales that exist on farms, and between part time and full time, and the different the, the, the really disadvantaged areas and maybe along the coast of the West of Ireland, for example. If we don't focus once again like we have done in the past on on pooling our power and unifying, celebrating what unites us instead of what divides us, we won't be unified. And if we're not unified, we're not strong. And without being strong, we we will continue to fail to deliver. And, And we have to a certain extent over the last few years Not being able to deliver as much as we could have freedom to farm is another crucial one and and what this simply means in my book is that every decision that we make in the IFA must take into account that every farmer inside his own gate has the freedom to choose what type of farming he gets involved the freedom to continue in a particular sector at a particular scale and if government and this is driven by the desire of government to put another hundred thousand hectares into forestry to uh i would just say ring fence a large amount of land to 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 feed anaerobic digesters and so on. If the government are going to achieve those targets, then they must do it by incentivizing farmers to get involved in what they want to get involved in, not by forcing farmers to get involved. And finally, on prices, I would say this we in the IFA, we don't get to decide what world prices or commodity prices are. We we get but what we do, do what we do have a responsibility to do is to maximize the returns from those markets. And to make sure that there's enough transparency that says to a farmer that he's getting his fair share. That follows also into supports. And I think over the next few years, we're going to have a major job of work to do in preparing for the next cap. And I think we are going to have to face up to the fact there's going to have to be a rebalancing of supports to focus those supports on the vulnerable sectors, on the vulnerable areas, on quality food production, and on environmental ambition. It's difficult to, dis- to say with any accuracy. Indeed, it'd be, it would be disingenuous disingenuous of us to be talking about any accuracy about what particular areas we can put money into until we know what the overall size of the pot is. But I think our focus is going to have to be on those four specific areas in order to maximise the sustainability economically of Irish farms.
0: You have been on hustlings in Tipperary. How would you get on? Good, I think,
2: Jim. I think a uh, really good night, really good debate. I suppose the one issue I would point out in Tipperary was... was uh, was unique to Tipperary was the issue around land sales, and purchases okay. um, and and whether or not it's appropriate that big business is able to buy land and, and, and the impact that has in on farmers' inability to buy land.
0: Okay, we'll be talking about that into the future I can tell you. One last question to you Martin. Why should the farmers uh, or the members of the IFA rather why should they vote for Martin Stapleton?
2: In my view, my track record has prepared me ideally for this job. I've worked hard as a farmer. I've developed a farm over 20 years. I've I've developed a farm with my background as a family farm. I think that's what what farmers want. I also think my experience in the IFA has prepared me incredibly well for it. And as emphasized before, the the pre-budget submission, which is huge in the context, Uh, I've got to understand how important it is to prioritize issues because IFA can't deliver everything so the biggest decision it makes is what it places at the top of its list of priorities so that it can drive home those. And I have seen time and time again in IFA, if IFA has has a list of one, two, or three priorities and it drives those, it has a much bigger chance of success than putting 20 or 30 ass in front of a government and saying to the government, you pick what you choose. Uh, so I think that's huge. I think the experience I've had in negotiating with, especially, and I mentioned earlier on, the vulture funds, that has left me really experienced. A strong negotiator who understands the balance between making your point, being strong, and also having a relationship with who you negotiate with so that when you do make a decision, people on both sides of the table know that that decision will be carried through. I think that's that's a very big one. And and, and finally, my slogan for my campaign is I'm not going to make any false promises to the farmers of Ireland. I'm going to work hard and I'm going to be absolutely honest with a view to deliver uh, the maximum that can be delivered with a view not only for the next four years, but also given the opportunity to live Irish farming in a much stronger position as we look forward over the next
0: 10 to 15 to 20 years. Okay, well done, Martin. Thanks very much. That, listeners, was Martin Stapleton, who is one of the candidates for president of the IFA. And if you want to support Martin, why don't you give him your vote when voting starts on the 1st of November? Listeners, one of the candidates for Deputy President of the IFA is Pat Murphy, and Pat is from Galway, and Pat is with me now. Good morning, Pat, and thanks very much for taking time out and for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be with you. Okay, Pat. Uh, Now, who is Pat Murphy? Uh, Pat Murphy, I'm 50 years of age.
3: I'm married to Anna, with Mm. three children. Uh, Kira, Eva, and Parik. I live in Adran, County Galway. We're dairy and suckler farmers. And we have some tillage. We also farm in UK County Clare.
0: Okay. So, uh, and you're, you're in the IFA for quite some time. So uh, can you give me and the listeners your history with regard to the IFA?
3: I'm a branch officer in the IFA going back to probably the 2001, the beef blockade that was there at the time when, yeah. when there was a lot happening. So I became an officer at that time uh, and I'm proud to say that I've been an, an officer at either branch or county level ever since. I've been start, started off as branch secretary and branch chairman and I'm glad to see that my daughter is now coming on, on board as. As a, county, as a branch officer since. Um, I've nearly 20 years' uh, experience of being an officer, and I suppose for the 12 of the last 14 years, I've been uh, on National Council. Was, Galway was given a second delegate back in 2009, so in the 2019 elections, I was elected a second delegate from Galway, and in 2014, I became county chair in Galway. We had tough times with those as everyone knows twenty fifteen wasn't simple, but I am glad to say that we played our part in guiding i f a through that and uh worked hard to come up with ideas and work with people <coughs> and in twenty twenty I became common Regional chair of the i f a so to this job I bring twenty years experience with me
0: okay, that's very good so in those twenty years then experience with the i f a uh pat what would you consider to be your <coughs> biggest achievement?
3: My biggest achievement, I think, is say, well, i of a track record of hard work. And mm-hmm. I like to say actions speak louder than words. And we'll bring it back to this spring when fertilizer prices were through the roof in the Republic. Yeah. And we could see across the border in the Northern Ireland that they were a lot less and I'll figure sure there's 140 euros in the difference. So we proactively sourced fertiliser and brought it down in here to the west of Ireland to try and reduce the prices that farmers are faced and uh, to force the importers, and not the not the merchants, we didn't have a problem with them, but the importers who were, I believe, keeping the prices high, forcing them to cut their prices because farmers were... Came yeah. through the nose for fertilizer, so that I think is my my biggest achievement. Closely followed, I think, back about three years ago, just before the the, um, the cap negotiations were kicking off. But just after I became Connacht chair, we went around to each of the five counties to see what were the big issues that farmers faced in the five counties in Connacht. and um, what do they want out of cap. Basically, someone to Mm -hmm. listen to what they were saying. So we did that and brought together all of the points that people had in common. We called that the Connaught White Paper. And the fact that we got people talking together, coming together, and having an agreed point, I think was a huge basis for the fears that farmers had in Connaught about the, the cap negotiation that was taking place. Now we didn't get them all through as policy within IFA, but there was a lot of things that were simple practical measures that would have been a help and I think would have been would continue to be a help um, and I suppose one of the main points that came out of it wasn't policy at the time, but was adopted earlier this year by the department themselves was the liming scheme yeah. that actually came from the con from the con- and paper discussions that we had so those two things I think are things that I have very proud of been a part of.
0: OK, very good. Uh, can I then ask you then, on what platform is your campaign now being built on?
3: I'm building this platform, this campaign on the platform of being a vice for the family farm and more importantly, the food that we produce. Because I'm very proud of the food that we produce, but when you see it being treated the way it is by mistreated, especially the retailers, and being dismissed by people in government, like the food that we produce, whether it is milk, dairy, whether it is beef or weanlands, whether it is pig or poultry, whether it is tillage crops it costs money it's part of our business as family farms and it keeps us as family farms in business in the rural economy in business, and keeps the rural communities going as well but it's our biggest industry and when you see people like we said the junior minister for agriculture saying we shouldn't have to produce food for 40 million people we actually produce a very very good product it's environmentally sustainable and we it's one of our biggest industries when you consider that it's worth 13 billion euros worth of exports so I think governments need to be more protective of it, need to be prouder of it I'm proud of the food that we produce and I'm willing to stand up and be counted on that, and to stand up for food producers and the people that, and the food that we produce. Because I think somebody has to, and I think, adding to that, we need to start to sell ourselves as well as food producers a little bit better. And I would use the role of Deputy President, if I, if I get this role, please God, mm-hmm. you know, that, we'd be, that we would get out there and sell us as farmers. To our customers, whether it is in the supermarkets, in every town, village, and city across the country, to educate them to where the food comes from. You know, this food is locally produced. Even in my own campaign launch, lamb from Kinvara, or lamb from Scott, beef from Kinvara, cheese from from just over the road produced by by Theresa Roche, all locally produced. And we need to sell more of that to our customers. We have people in the community, our customers are in the community, but a lot of people don't actually know where the food comes from. They don't actually know the sort of work that goes on behind the scenes, we we'll say, in the care for the animals, mm-hmm. in the care for the crops. An awful lot of these things are lost. And I think if we could tell people our story, because we have a good story to tell, then people would have more of an appreciation for food. And add on to that then. Maybe our government would have more appreciation for our food, and more importantly, the people that produce it. So it's not an easy fix, but that's what I would that's why I'm running my campaign on this, and that's my bigger my long term achievement is trying to make sure we deliver on that. And I want to be held responsible for it as well.
0: Okay, Pat. You have been in Tipperary, uh in the hustlings. How did you get on in the jockey the night you were in Tipperary?
3: I was very happy was. With the meeting in Tipperary, first of all, there was a magnificent crowd in it. Like there was over 250, 300 people in it. So to see that crowd, it gives you certainly the will to stay going and to to keep battling because people had an interest. They like they're serious about what's going on, and you know, when you look at the, the the range of questions, people are interested. Very very good, progressive fair county. So. It was great to be there and I got on well and I got a great reception both during the meeting and before and after the meeting as well speaking to speaking to the delegates that were there. Um, it was a good meeting. I was very happy with it.
0: Okay, and uh, also, uh, Pat, you were at the Hustlings in Clare and considering that you have a piece of land in Clare as well, uh, how did you get on there? Uh,
3: good, I have to say. People in Clare. Like my mother was from Clare, so it was it was the hometown venue for me. To be honest about it, and it was only half an hour from where I live. Um, like there's a lot of issues in Clare, mm-hmm. and when you have an when you have a an idea of them yourself and you're constantly trying to be representing them, those issues I think people appreciate that. Um, I was very happy with the way Clare went for me. Very happy with the response that I got from the people. And I'm getting a lot of support even on my Canvas team from people in Clare, so I'm very, very appreciative of that.
0: Okay, now, Pat, uh, one final question to you. Why should uh, the farmers of Tipperary uh, and the farmers of Clare vote for you?
3: People should vote for me because what they see is what they get. I'm a family farmer. With three kids in college I have a huge appreciation of the struggles and the challenges that families face on a daily basis. I also have a track record of hard work and delivery. My twenty years experience having come up through the ranks in IFA. I farmers can expect delivery from me. They can expect someone that's going to listen first of all to their to their fears and their challenges and we had that over this weekend here alone. I'm someone that they can come to, I'm someone that they can talk to and I'm someone that will try their best to deliver for them. And that's why people should vote for me. I have an understanding of what they're going through. I share a lot of their problems as, this, as we say around here. I have the stone on the shoe that so many people have. I know their problems and I can be a vice for them and hopefully deliver for them.
0: Well, look, at Pat, thanks very much for joining me this morning. That, listener was Pat Murphy, who is one of the candidates for Deputy President of the IFA. And if you want to uh, support Pat in his efforts to become the Deputy President, when you do go to vote, uh, can't you uh, vote for Pat? One of the candidates, listeners, for the Deputy President of the IFA happens to be Alice Doyle. And listeners, you are well aware of who Alice Doyle is because Alice is a regular contributor to my programme. And now we're going to be asking Alice the hard questions uh, with regard to her being nominated to run for Deputy President. Good morning, Alice, and thanks for joining me.
4: Good morning, Jim. Good to talk to you as usual and to your listeners.
0: Okay, Alice, who is Alice Doyle?
4: Well, Jim, I'm uh, well known, I suppose, in the Wexford area as Alice Doyle and around the country probably too. I was originally Alice McCall, who I was better known for as in my mockery days. Um, And I'm originally from a farm family in Carlow. But I've been farming here in Wexford for over 30 years in partnership with my husband, Tom, uh, who and we have a beef and tillage farm here in Ballyocter near Gorey. And we've three grown-up children, all of whom work off-farm. And I suppose, like many farmers, farmers' wives and their partners, I've also worked off-farm, but now have return full-time to farm.
0: OK, and when you were working off-farm, what did you do for a living?
4: I was, uh, like many farmers' wives, I was a teacher. Actually, I was a principal teacher for the majority of my my career, uh, having been appointed principal as one of the youngest principals in the country at 22. But uh, fortunately, teaching also allowed me to be very involved in in the farm all through my time while I was teaching, because we do have holidays and we do finish early in the afternoon, I suppose. But I did contribute in in a physical way to the farm, and I also contributed, of course, financially, which allowed the farm to develop, too, like many farmers' wives.
0: Okay, and that's very, very important. The wife of the farmer or the partner can bring in some money because it will contribute to the farm. But how did you manage teaching the farm and and rearing three children?
4: I suppose it's because uh, I'm good at juggling, I'm good at multitasking, and I know that myself over the years. And then there's a lot of crossover too, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of the skills that we use, say, in my off-farm work are very transferable into into my farming, in that administration, being good at administration, good at organization, uh, works, works both ways. That mm-hmm. helps on the farm in keeping the business side of things going. And I suppose I always brought my farming life into my classroom as well, because I would have been very fond of passing on the knowledge of, of the of the farm to the, the kids that I worked with and taking them on school visits to farms. They visited my own farm on numerous occasions. And then rearing three children, I suppose they came to school with me for most of their teaching, most of my career, most of their mm. school career. And um it all links in, and farming is a great way of rearing children, you know. Um, There's there a lot of help on the farm always, uh, Tom, because he was at home, was able to, to take the kids, and my father-in-law and my mother were here with me. They both lived with me as well while they were alive. So I had a, I a good bit of help at home too, and that all helped.
0: You mentioned you were in mokra so we leave that one side. Your history in the IFA?
4: I've been involved in the IFA uh, definitely since the time I got married. It's, it's kind of a natural transition from on a Farmer, really. Um, and I married into a very strong IFA household where Tom was very involved he, from, from a very young age in, in IFA. And he was national chair of the Farm Family Committee, or sorry, the Farm Business Committee, and in numerous committees in the county here and whatever. So I was always very au of- fait of- of- with what was going on. And I was a member of the Pomolan branch from the time I got married. But in 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 later on, then I got involved in the branch, and I was branch secretary for four years, and then I was their delegate to the county, one of their delegates to the county executive, and then got elected as chair of the farm family committee here in Wexford, and served on the national farm family committee. And while I was on that committee, I was first elected as the vice chair of that committee, and then I was elected chair of that committee two years ago. So that's my history through ISA.
0: Moving away from that then, what would you consider, Alice, was your biggest achievement to date?
4: In ISA, I suppose my biggest achievement as chair of the Farm Family Committee is a number of the things that we have delivered in the short space of time that I've actually been chair of that committee. I'm only chair of that committee for 18 18 months. Mm -hmm. And in that 18 months, we have uh, delivered a number of big things. I suppose one of them is only as recently as two weeks ago during the Tally match. We, in conjunction with Mary Butler, the minister uh, in, in, in the Department of, of Health and Older People, we've got a change brought, another change brought in under the Fair Deal scheme where we have extended the eligibility of people who can be appointed successor because we had a number of people who weren't able to be appointed successor because they weren't near enough related to the person going into the nursing home. And we've got that extended mm-hmm. way out now to great-grandniece and grand-nephew. That is probably one of the biggest ones. And I suppose the second biggest one, I would say, and maybe not in, that, in any order, was the fact that last year we delivered uh, an inheritance and succession information session to over 2,000 members. Uh, we listened very carefully to what the members wanted and we discovered this was something they needed badly. And we delivered four big sessions around the country with over 2,000 people attending and we had huge feedback from that. So I think there are two of the, probably the biggest yeah. ones. But I was also involved with the Farm Apprenticeship Consortium which mm-hmm. set up the new Farm Apprenticeship Scheme which will be big going forward. Uh, and I think that's another another big area that I can say in the space of 18 months, and they're only small things. Well, you know, there are only a number of the, small number of the things that we have delivered in that period of time. So I think in 18 months, I have delivered as much or more than anybody else.
0: What's your campaign message to uh, the voters?
4: I think what, I, what I'm actually, what I want to really say to, to most voters is, that we need a strong leader to represent and defend the interests of all our farmers, no matter what shape or size or sector they belong to, in the face of all the challenges that are facing them. Uh, And I think that, you know, we have to set our stall, we have to show where we're going, we're going to have to plan how we're going to get there, because firefighting is no longer adequate. And I think, you know, I'm the one who can do that. I have a skill set that no other leader coming into ISA has ever had, in that I have not only my... Uh, skills from the farm because I have a very good knowledge of farming uh, because I worked lived and worked on a farm all my life and been part of the, the life both inside and outside the the farm door but I have that but I also have leadership skills I have co- I come as a trained leader not coming in to learn the leadership skills when I get in I have been a leader all my life in my work in every organization that I've ever been in and in those, in those areas, I have, you know, shown that I have these leadership skills. So I think with facing all the challenges that farmers have at the moment, they need someone who can be a good advocate, a good negotiator, uh, you know, who's confident and competent and capable of performing in public. And whereas it sounds like praising myself, I actually do believe that I have all those skills and that's what I want to give to the farmers uh, of, of IFA, that I can deliver for them as best I can. Uh, using those skills because I won't have to spend time learning those skills. I already have them coming into the organisation.
0: And then are you confident then that you can deliver on that?
4: I'm comp- I, have, I am saying very clearly to the farmers mm. when I meet them that uh, I'm not making any false promises and I'm not promising to work miracles. But what I am promising is that I will do everything within my power to deliver whatever I can within reason, um, and to try and meet the needs of farmers. And we will do our best. And I think, you know, I, I think we can deliver a lot more than we have been. Uh, but we will have to be very strategic in how we do it. We will have to be very goal-orientated in what we're doing. Uh, and we'll have to be very logical in, in our approach and very firm in how we do this and have good problem-solving skills. And I think I can deliver a good bit. As I said, I'm not promising miracles. I'm not promising that I can change the world. But I certainly can do as much or more. I can definitely do more, I think, than anybody else can.
0: Now, I know, Alice, you have been in Tipperary. You were there last week uh, or the week before. And how did you get on?
4: I was very happy with uh, with Tipperary. There was a huge turnout in and mm-hmm. Jockey when we were down there. Um, Very interested members, very active members, people who are very, you know, very uh, anxious to ask questions, very directed questions, uh, who are very good farmers. I mean, in Tipperary, you're in the home of real strong IFA people with four former presidents um in their you know in their midst and mm-hmm. they they know their stuff they know what they want and they're good farmers and they did put the questions you know hot and heavy to us and I, I was very happy with with you know my how i felt i got on down there uh, i know it's up to the members now to put the, those ballots in the boxes to prove to me that i was reading the room right but i would be very happy that the people of tipperary know what they want and i i hope that i am what they want
0: Okay. One last question to yourself: so Why should the members of the IFA vote for Alice Doyle?
4: Well, I, I think they have to. Because first, I honestly believe I am the best person at this moment in time, because I possess a skill set different to any of previous or present candidates. I am very a strategic thinker. I'm goal oriented. I'm logical in my approach. I'm adaptable. I possess problem solving skills. I have ability to make sound judgment and navigate through unpredictable situations that may arise. And I'm very focused on the task at hand. And I really want to deliver for Irish farmers. It's, I'm passionate about that, that I want to. But I do believe I could do it. And because I also am a female, and I'm not running on that ticket, but I think it's time that the female voice and balance was brought to the table. Because many women have been that balance around the kitchen table in Irish homes for a long, long time. And they are the balance there. And I think that's what IFA needs nationally. They need balance. And the balance could come from a good, strong female.
0: Okay. well, look at Alice. Thank you ever so much for joining us this morning. That listeners was Alice Doyle, one of the candidates for deputy president of the IFA and voting starts early in November. And if you think Alice is the person for you, would you please go out and vote for her? Before I sign off this morning, uh, just to remind you of an event taking place today, and that is that from 12 to 3 p.m. in St. Michael's Community Centre in Holy Cross, we have the Holy Cross Village Market, and the theme, needless to mention, is Halloween, and it's going to be a great evening's entertainment for our afternoon's entertainment, really. Uh, for uh, children and there's all kinds of competitions etc and I was asked just to remind you of it and uh, needless to mention there will be a scarecrow or two around as well That listeners is Ag Report for this week. I hope you enjoy the show and that you'll join me at the same time next week for another Ag Report on Tip FM. Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock and after that and The Wire presents Down your way.